the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. No, Greg Kelly is not in today. This is the sound of Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie, who has now morphed himself into the killer whale Orca. His sole reason for having entered the Republican presidential primary is to erode the support from the leader of the pack, former President Donald Trump. For him, this is a vendetta. This is a blood feud. The polls have come out in New Hampshire. The person who has gone up from 0% amongst the pack of many who would want to be the Republican nominee, obviously Trump, well ahead, is Chris Christie. He has gone from 0% to 7%. Where did his 7% come from? DeSantis. But the likelihood is he will go no further than New Hampshire unless he gains some traction. He is going to avoid the Caucasoid caucuses in Iowa where he stands no chance and would just have to spend too much time, too much resource, when, quite frankly, it has very, very minimal effect any longer. Look, Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucus in 2016. He thought he was on his way to victory and then ultimately ended up losing to the winner, Donald Trump. So let's just trace, if we can, the political life and times of the political hitman, Shamua Hafei Chris Christie. You may have remembered that in June of 2015, he announced his candidacy for the Republican nomination in a presidential election cycle that was dominated by Donald Trump. He lost his attempt in New Hampshire, but remember what he went out on New Hampshire with. A technical knockout against little Marco Rubio. He eviscerated him on the stage to the delight of Donald Trump in the audience because everybody really despised this uh, omnipotent, pretentious candidate from Florida, U.S. Senator, little Marco Rubio. He did an outstanding job. He didn't focus attention on Jeb Bush, uh, on Donald Trump, on any of the other candidates. It was just one-on-one, and little Marco Rubio was no match. Right afterwards, Chris Christie, although he knew he was going to have to withdraw, there was no money left, immediately went to the Boston Garden, as he had so often before, to gardens all over America and to stadii all over the world. Uh, because he is a first-class groupie, uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Schmanta Boy, Stevie Van Zandt, and the E Street Band. He loves Bruce Springsteen, although Bruce Springsteen and Stevie Van Zandt and the E Street Band hate Chris Christie. They never give him any play, never give him any recognition. And I'll never forget, looking at the video, Chris Christie was celebrating the fact that he had scored a TKO against little Marco Rubio, in the New Hampshire primary debate of 2016, but knew that he would have to withdraw. 
And he was jig he was doing the jiggle wiggle to all the Springsteen classics. He's been to over 175 Springsteen concerts all over the world. They never give him any play. They diss him and dismiss him. But once he dropped out, he became a supporter of Donald Trump, campaigned with him the rest of the way. And when uh, Donald Trump had beaten Hillary Rodham Clinton, he was surprised. We were all surprised. Nobody thought it would happen. But he had to put together a transition planning team real quick, and he gave that authority to Chris Christie. Eventually, he decided, nope. We're going to go with uh, Priebus, the RNC chairman. He can do a better job putting it together. And right away, Chris Christie thought, wow, the Donald's going to choose me as his vice presidential candidate. And it really did come down to Chris Christie. And it came down to uh, Pence from Indiana. And the president's decision at that time, Donald Trump, he was quoted as saying, hey, look, Chris Christie doesn't look like a vice president. Pence, he's right out of central casting. So now, here, here was Chris Christie, strike one. Chris Christie, strike two. But still, he held his fire. And in the last round of debates in this uh, previous uh, presidential campaign in 2020, he actually helped prepare President Donald Trump for the debate, along with Rudy Giuliani against Joe Biden in Cleveland on the stage. So uh, it was there that he came down with a really bad case of COVID-19, and they thought he might perish. They thought he might not make it because of his heft, his size, his other medical issues. Thank God for his sake, his wife's sake, Mary Pat, their children. He did survive. But boy, he's come back, hired by ABC National News to appear with Stephanopoulos on Sunday mornings. And his only mission on Sunday mornings is to go on the attack, attack Trump, attack Trump, attack Trump. And he has. And his strategy is, I can cut into Donald Trump's lead. I can take votes away from DeSantis because I will be the most aggressive anti-Trumper. Can't say he's a never-Trumper because he couldn't have been more in love with Donald Trump for periods of time. And because of this attack strategy, he's been on CNN, he's been on Fox News. He's been on almost every major outlet. The New York Times now adores him, adores him. Because the only words out of Chris Christie's mouth is not about policy and how he would differ in policy with Trump or DeSantis or Scott or Haley or anyone else. It's just attack Donald Trump. And he's going to think after today's polling results in New Hampshire, it's a successful strategy. He went from zero to seven percent. And there's no doubt. He will do well in New Hampshire because New Hampshire is one of these primaries where if you're a Democrat, you can cross over and vote. So, you know, just uh, spite Donald Trump, a lot of Democrats will say, hey, look, we have no primary in New Hampshire. Right? Let's face it. They're going to South Carolina first. They don't even care about New Hampshire and Iowa any longer, the Democrats. So we'll give all votes to the Trump killer, T.K., Chris Christie, Shamuel Hefe, Chris Christie. That's what he's banking on. And he's hoping to get some traction at that point because he's going to run out of money. There's no doubt. And if he does get traction, then he figures he'll go the rest of the way. Even if Donald Trump refuses to engage in debate in the initial challenges that the RNC has put up, I think the first one is in Milwaukee, 
in late August. So now you know the story of Chris Christie. But what you also don't know is that he was on the cusp of possibly being the Republican presidential candidate when Romney was running. Remember, that was an election cycle before that. You remember 2011. He was in the governor's mansion in Drumthwacket with his wife, uh, Mary, uh, uh, Mary Pat, and their family. And the hog farmers from Iowa came to him and they begged him, beseeched him. Because remember, he was the Trump of that time. He was Donald Trump. He was having town hall meetings. He was getting into arguments. He was telling guys in the audience, I'll punch your schnoz right down your throat. Come on up here. Everybody loved Chris Christie. He was feisty, gregarious, argumentative. He had personality. He had charisma. He had a lot of weight. But, hey, uh, he was the pick of the Iowa farmers. And they came to him and they begged him. They beseeched him to run. They said, look, we'll bankroll you. We're a power here in Iowa where there are more pigs than people. We promise you, you will not have to drink ethanol and pledge ethanol Although I know you want to eat the ham hocks, the bacon bits, uh, everything that's ham uh, as you make the rounds in Iowa. Well, we guarantee you, you'll have a slam dunk victory. People will love you in Iowa. And he said no, because in the back of Chris Christie's mind, he thought that eventually Mitt Romney, who he perceived would win, would choose him as the vice president. He always was the girl at the dance, who didn't get chosen, who thought for sure she was going to get chosen by the valedictorian, right? That was the first time he was dissed and dismissed. Who did Mitt Romney reach out to? Badger boy, Ryan from Wisconsin. Everybody, who? Ryan? Yeah, 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 Ryan, who went on to become the speaker. He ran as the vice presidential candidate. Remember? How could you forget? What was that, the debate between Biden and Ryan? It's like, wow. Boy, you want to talk about putting people to sleep. Forget Samanex. It was like one of the most boring vice presidential debates of all time. Ryan was not ready for prime time. Now, should, should Mitt Romney have chosen Chris Christie as his vice presidential running mate? It might well have put more fire into his campaign. Remember, he was on the cusp of possibly upsetting the sitting president, Barack Obama, who was seeking a second term and then what happened? Remember what happened, Diego? It was November. Excuse me. Actually, I think it was late October. I'll never forget. I was doing radio, and Superstorm Sandy hit. And I remember you could feel the entire building shake. The roof was prepared to literally be blown away. There was massive devastations all up and down the northeast sector. Areas of New Jersey, the Jersey Shore, devastated. Likewise, in New York, it was bigger than advertised. It turned out to be a Category 3 hurricane. I remember that famous photograph. Chris Christie, the governor, who was doing like four or five press conferences a day, wearing the fleece sweater. Remember, he always had that fleece sweater on. He never took it off. Barack Obama flew to Brigantine, the town south of Atlantic City, in Marine One. And he turned to Governor Chris Christie. This is just like two weeks before the election, a week before the election. And he said, you want to ride in Marine One as we go up and down the Jersey Shore and look at the devastation? 
And Chris Christie made maybe the worst decision of his political life. It may have been pragmatic for the devastation that was before him in Jersey and up and down the Northeast uh, corridor. But he was in that Marine helicopter one as they went up to Point Pleasant and they came back down to Brigantine. And then when he got off of Marine One, very adeptly, very adroitly, Barack Obama, the president, reached out to hug Chris Christie. And what did Chris Christie do? He hugged him back. And that was it. In the eyes of so many Republicans, he was Utreditor. He was Judas stabbing Mitt Romney in the back. Remember, he had given them nominating speech for Mitt Romney to become the Republican presidential nominee in Tampa. They had to cancel it for a day because what was off the coast of uh, the Gulf of Mexico, a hurricane. And Chris Christie got up on that stage. He's supposed to be nominating Mitt Romney. For 45 minutes, he spoke about Chris Christie. Never once mentioned Mitt Romney. So now you know the full story about the political hit man known as Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie, Orca the political killing whale, who's gone from 0 to 7% in the New Hampshire primary, taking a percentage, uh, that same percentage away from DeSantis, Trump well ahead. His sole reason there is to seek vengeance, a vendetta, and to... To try to score TKO this time. 2016, it was little Marco Rubio. This time he wants the big whale, Donald Trump. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. This is the Greg Kelly Show. He's away today. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, was set to take you the rest of the way. That's 800-848-9222. Up next, the former president, Donald Trump who is being attacked from every segment of every area of the spectrum that you can look at. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Theme song for President Trump when he was running for office 2016, when he was running for re-election at many of his campaign rallies. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I love this song, but it is really as epitomized Donald Trump's life. Uh, my name is Curtis Sliwa, founder of the Guardian Angels, recently ran for mayor of the city of New York as a Republican against Eric Adams. And I have been called by Republicans a rhino, Republican in name only, and a never-Trumper. Truth is, I had a love-hate relationship with Donald Trump going way back when he was Citizen Trump. Sometimes we were loving one another, other times we were like two scorpions in a brandy glass. But what I have seen of these prosecutions is just unimaginable to me. Talk about a pylon. First, you had Alvin Bragg, right? The hush-hush money case, right? Where Michael Cohn suddenly be goes from being a sinner to a saint. What an outrage over Stormy Daniels' hush money, right? That was, what? And then the 
And then all of a sudden we have the case of E. Jean Carroll back in the 90s. We're going to talk about it later at the end of the show when I got shot up by the Gotties in 1992. As you know, Greg Kelly signing off yesterday said that I should forgive them. Never going to happen. E. Jean Carroll, 1990s, a federal jury? You got to be kidding. In Bergdorf Goodman, she claimed that the president at that time, Citizen Trump, raped her in a changing room. Nonsense! And then this classified documents case, you would say to yourself, isn't this everything that President Joe Biden should be charged with, with all the classified documents that he has uh, left all over? I mean, everyone, and not just him. Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Pence. We can go on and on and on. It's like, really? This is what you're doing. And this is what Trump recently had to say about all these prosecutions coming back to back, belly to belly. Today we witnessed the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. Very sad thing to watch. A corrupt sitting president had his top political opponent arrested on fake and fabricated charges of which he and numerous other presidents would be guilty. Right in the middle of a presidential election in which he is losing very badly. There's no doubt about it. Look, I've been labeled by my own Republicans a rhino, Republican in name only, a never Trumper. But I got to tell you, I, I follow politics. I'm 69 years old. I have never seen anything like this before. This is an absolute outrage. Everybody should be outraged by this Democrats, independents. Left wing, right wing, what an abuse. Prosecutorial powers, both at the DOJ, local prosecutors, the attorney general of the state of New York who wanted to prosecute anything named Trump. It's absolutely over the top, and it's meant to take out Donald Trump in consideration to become the next president of the United States. Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I'd like to be able to. Anyway. I'm. My mind's going blank now. What's happening? What, what, I can't remember. My mind's going blank now. What are you talking about? What the hell's going on here? Where the hell are My mind's going blank now. I can't remember. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. What am I doing here? My mind's going blank now. Where am I heading? I keep forgetting I'm president. I don't think as the idea that um, the, um, the political coverage. I want to thank and recognize Dr. John John King King song King that song. I can't get this ladies and gentlemen i'm the club king here in new york city and this song which uh, is truth in music about the condition of our president joe biden is actually a top 40 dance hit even democrats will get out on the dance floor because it is so well done and it is so truthful about his impaired condition 
Looking at the Democratic side of the ledger, RFK Jr. is ready to debate. Williamson, who ran the last time, uh, the new ager, she's ready to debate. She was able to debate the last time until she had to drop out. But let's face it, Team Biden does not want to expose him to even children debating him in an elementary school example of forensic discourse. But let's continue on. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, was substituting for Greg Kelly. He'll be back with all of you on Monday. And to Kathy and Hasbrook Heights, your turn to be heard here, Kathy. Oh, hi. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I wanted to say I got a letter from the Republican National Committee today uh, in the name of Ron DeSantis. And they're saying it's paid for by the Republican National Committee. But I don't know why it's not Donald Trump. It's a survey. And it, the response goes back to Ron DeSantis. So um, I, I'm really upset about it. Yeah, well, I would say not having that piece of lit, political lit in my hands, Kathy, it's probably not true. There's a lot of lit going on out there, flying fast and furiously. I will tell you at this point, uh, I am a DeSantis supporter. I have never seen so many negative ads uh, that have been run against the candidate even before he announced. I mean, every other ad on TV was anti-DeSantis, who I think has done an outstanding job in Florida. Look, uh, let's have debates. Uh, Trump on the stage with DeSantis. They'll probably survive, be the last survivors of this long, grueling campaign to get the Republican nomination. But, Kathy, you're going to see a lot of that. There are a lot of... Uh, Packs out there and a lot of dark money in the campaign that will cosmetically appear to be a piece of political literature that, in fact, is not correct. Don't take it to heart. Check. Check. Double check. As President Ronald Reagan said, he said, truth but verify. I say verify first. Then you can trust the people. And, in fact, that's my mission now. I'm organizing Ronald Reagan Republican clubs throughout New York City to fight off the socialists' incursion, the takeover of the Democratic Party by AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and her little mini-me's and minions. So I just take that phrase of Ronald Reagan and I say, trust but verify. No, you nowadays you can't. you got to verify it first and then make them earn your trust. Let's go, if we can, to Johnny, who's calling from Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here, Johnny. Yeah, good afternoon. I, I have a, a, a little statement about Shamu. I mean, he's been a backstabber from the first time in politics. I have to say I voted for him. Uh, however, what I saw what he did to Brent Schindler when they sent him up with some information at a meeting in Newark, when they had some Obama supporters, and they were taping. They were taping this whole meeting, so to be private. Uh, it blew up, because I guess it was private, and Brent Schindler said something. This was information coming from uh, Shamu. He wasn't speaking his own. He was working for the governor at that time. Yes, in fact, Johnny, just to uh, give the backstory to the many who are not in our tri-state area, uh, Greg Kelly, it's a nationally syndicated show, so you need to know that at first, Chris Christie, when he became governor, he beat John Corzine, who spent millions to stay governor. He single-handedly destroyed the state of New Jersey. His 
his reason for running, he was the CEO of Goldmine Sachs. Yeah, great company. They sell you stock, and then the moment you walk out the door, after they shake your hand, they short you. They short you. The present governor of uh, New Jersey is half in the bag. He's always smashed Murphy. What is his credibility? Oh, he was part of Goldmine Sachs. The next governor candidate from Jersey City, uh, Mayor Fulham, you know what his uh, credentials are? He worked for Goldmine Sachs. Are you kidding? They sell you stock, and then they short you right out the door. Either way, they get their money. You get screwed. But anyway, I digress. Brett Schindler is a friend of mine. He became mayor of the most corrupt county, Democratic county in America, Hudson County's Jersey City. He ran against 12 Democrats. He became mayor. He cleaned up that city. Very conservative as a Republican. Should have been elected governor. He ran a few times. I supported him each and every time. Chris Christie won and did the right thing. He made him the head, the secretary of education in Trenton. Brett Chandler now runs a charter school, a great charter school in Jersey City. He's never really got his due. So as Secretary of Education, Chris Christie threw him under the bus. Just as this caller said, when Chandler stood up to all of those who were opposed to charter schools, opposed to better education for minority students, the NJEA, New Jersey Education Association, I mean, uh, the union, powerful. Chris Christie, although he took on the union, to his credit, decided to throw Brett Chandler under the bus. That was a a disgrace. It can never be forgiven for political purposes. This was a great man and still is Brett Chandler. You see him in Jersey City. He still lives there, the most corrupt Democratic county in America, more corrupt than Crook County in Illinois, run by the most crooked U.S. senator up on the hill in the cloakroom, Bobby Menendez, who should have been in jail already, apparently going to be indicted a second time. I'm hoping, I'm hoping finally they take him down. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to Saul, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Greg Kelly Show. Hey, Mr. Sliva. Listen, isn't it true that to become a president of the United States, you have to be uh, good-looking, tall, smart, and rich? So Chris Christie has no chance. Uh, Let me get this straight. So to become president of the United States, you have to be tall, good-looking, and rich. That helps. There's no doubt. Survey after survey has said that voters... Not the cognoscente, not the ones who are deeply immersed in subject matter or are political ideologues. Really do judge a candidate by their looks. So look at Gruesome Newsome on the Democratic side. You know he's on the cusp of entering. He's giving every signal that as the failed mayor of San Francisco and now the failed governor of San Francisco, he thinks that he can win the Democratic primary if Joe Biden is completely incapable of functioning and needs his medical alert. Remember medical alert? I'm falling. I can't get up. A few more of those. And Gruesome uh, Newsome will determine that he's going to run. And he's got movie star looks. He's right out of central casting. I can't tell you how many Democrats have no idea what a failed mayor he was in San Francisco, what a failed governor he has been in California. But look at him. 
and say, oh, he's very presidential. And actually, women, they swoon. They say, oh. Donald Trump had a big advantage when he was running for president. 16, 17 candidates back in 2016. Billionaire, right? Well-tailored suits, dynamic, good-looking, right? And he crushed all the competition. He crushed them. Yeah, it really helps. I'm trying to think back. Barack Obama, look, suave, debonair, smooth Barack Obama. Wasn't a billionaire when he ran, but he's certainly a billionaire now <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, it sounds making a lot of sense there. A lot of sense. Let's go to Sandra in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Greg Kelly Show, Sandra. Good afternoon, Curtis. Um, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to share something today. I have a friend. Her name is Ronnie Pearl, and she knows Greg Kelly. She made it, She prepared a beautiful book event in Florida for him recently, and she knows Donald Trump very, very well. So I texted her this morning, and I said, are you worried about Donald Trump? And I, could I share what she answered? It was very beautiful. She well, said, well, 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 let's, uh, why don't you just paraphrase? Why don't you just tell us what it says rather than reading it? You know, I, I, I hate when people read stuff on the air. You, you, you're, you're more than capable of telling us the essence of what she wrote. Well, she basically said, of course I'm worried, but I know you may not believe me, but God birthed him on flag day and helped him make him a tough, and a rich New Yorker, so he wouldn't need money from anyone. And that's for a reason, because he needed someone not only tough and good, not only loving his country, but someone very, very brilliant. So he will go through hell, and so we will too. But at the very end, he will be president. God God always knows what's coming. So he birthed him for this job, to save the USA and also the whole planet. Well, Sandra, nonsense. Nobody was birthed to be president. How many times have we heard political candidates say they have a conversation with God, right? Didn't Ted Cruz? Ted Cruz said, I was in the tabernacle of a Baptist church in Houston's Fourth Ward with my wife and my father, who is a pastor. And God, God spoke to me, and he told me, he commanded me to run for the presidency. Remember that? Before 2016, and then he went on to win the Caucasoid caucuses in Iowa, and it was thought that he might beat Trump. Trump was only at 4% of the polls then. Then, of course, it was Bush 43. Let's see, this guy was half in the bag, he had abused cocaine, so maybe uh, when he said that God had commanded him to invade Iraq over the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, Maybe he was half in the bag at the time. I got to tell you, I ran for mayor of New York as a Republican against Eric Adams. I used my cell phone. I tried to call God over and over again. He never answered my phone. Eric Adams, the Democrat, claimed that God had divined that he be mayor at this time to lead us to all the problems we had. The aftermath of the lockdown and the pandemic, the crime surge, the homeless issue, the emotionally disturbed, the illegal aliens that he has welcomed into our city. He says time and time again when he gets to the bully pulpit, God, through his divinity, determined that I should be mayor of the city of New York at this time. Like Moses! Nonsense! 
nonsense when people start referring to God and claiming that they were the chosen ones. You know that's political propaganda. I can tell you, I ran for office. Unless God has discarded my number. How many times? You know what it may have been? How many times in my life, God forgive me, I said, God damn! And that was a stain on my soul. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's hovering again, the orange hue from the flames licking away at the treetops, this time in the province of Quebec. First, it was the maritime provinces outside of Halifax, and now it's spreading west. Soon, it's expected that these strong Chinook winds will take these flames possibly across the Fruiton Plain of Regina, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, to the Rocky Mountains, where the land is flat all in between. It's a great area of wheat, of farm production, and of trees. There is an emergency taking place in Canada, and in a nation of 40 million people, that's all, the second largest nation in the world territorially, larger than the United States, size of California's population, although that changes by the day with so many uh, fleeing California. They do not have the resource. They do not have the ability to put out these forest fires. They're growing, growing, and no hope to control them. There is an apocalyptic smog that is creeping down to our country. Look, It hit us last week. The rains washed it away. The winds changed. But now it's lingering over Minnesota and Wisconsin. In fact, Minneapolis on Wednesday recorded its worst air quality since records were ever kept. So that if you're healthy and strong and virile, it's bothersome. But it's not going to affect your health. But think of all those... Folks who have breathing issues, who are sensitive to smoke, who have respiratory issues or heart issues, they have to avoid being outside. And I will tell you this, Trudeau Jr. in the nation, Canada's capital in Ottawa is lost. He doesn't know what to do about this. These conditions have gotten progressively worse. Now, I know many in the Greg Kelly audience do not believe in global warming and climate change. I believe it. I've been up in Quebec in the forest, right through Vermont, Bernie, the Altacaca, Sanders land, Ben and Jerry land, all liberals when they flee New York. They don't go south of the Mason-Dixon line of Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. They go north to Vermont. And if you pass through Vermont, it's so beautiful. By the way, everybody has a gun in Vermont. Do people know that? It's a liberal state, but they're gun-toters. They're... Mr. and Miss Second America, uh, Second Amendment. But then when you veer off into Quebec or through New York State, it's forest land and forest land. It's, it's the indigenous, uh, native peoples. They call them, uh, first natives there. Mohawks on both sides, the American side and Canadian side. 
acres and acres of forest. 13 million acres have been engulfed, a landmass roughly twice the size of New Jersey, and they have no hope of stopping it. No hope. I do not understand why Joe Biden and our FEMA operation has not put our hands across the Canadian border. Maybe it will require Canadian bacon. You remember the movie with John Candy when we invaded Canada and made it into our 51st state. If you've ever been to Canada, I would say the province of Alberta is more American than it is Canadian. I mean, they have cowboys, they have oil, lots of oil, they have that shale, you know, they frack. I mean, we should just basically help the Canadians, help them put out these fires. We have the ability, the Canadians really don't. And then just say, as equity, you have Alberta, which is really the 51st state of America. I mean, look, you've been to Edmonton, you've been to Calgary like I've been there, you've been up to the shale country where a lot of our oil came from until they, till Biden cut off the pipeline and Trudeau went nuts, and rightfully so. Wouldn't that be a nice quid pro quo? Think about that. We help Trudeau tame these forest fires that are out of control, that are really going to impale a lot of Americans. It's really dangerous. And in return, we demand Alberta, the 51st state. If not, threaten them with Canadian bacon, too. We'll just uh, invade Canada. What? The RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, are going to stop us? Dudley Do-Right and his famous steed, Nell? You know, they don't even let the Royal Canadian Mounted Police have horses anymore. They've taken the horses away from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Uh, stay tuned. In the next hour, you're not going to want to miss it. We are going to do a tribute to a great American hero who is being drawn and courted in the city of New York where you have Alvin Bragg, friend of the criminals and enemy of good Samaritans and people who who stand their ground and defend themselves and everyone else, prosecuting Daniel Penny, former Marine. You're never a former Marine. Left as a sergeant. Nothing to tarnish his record at all. And he's been found by a grand jury to be uh, at this stage of the criminal prosecution there's enough substance they say for a second degree manslaughter charge we're going to lay it out for all of you all over the nation because this is a big debate north of the mason dixon line we have said you cannot stand your ground south they believe you can stand your ground Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
This was the opening song for the entrance into the ring of the old WWF of Hulk Hogan. Great song. But that was all fantasy, not reality. This is Curtis Sliwa, who uh, has had a documentary made of my life and times, 44 years as leader of the Guardian Angels, now in 13 countries, 130 cities, 5,000 members internationally. And the name of the documentary was Vigilante. Still is. You can see it. So when it comes to the issue of standing your ground, making citizens arrests, putting a headlock or a chokehold on a suspect until the police arrive, there is nobody in the world who has done more of that than yours truly. In the early days of the Guardian Angels, when the police were opposed to us, Oftentimes, I'd put a suspect who was committing a violent act or threatening others into a headlock or chokehold until the police arrived, and then I would be arrested. The suspect that I had disarmed and held at bay with the help of other guardian angels would then turn around with the encouragement of the police back then and file charges against me for assault, false imprisonment, a whole series of charges, and I would be arrested. I've been arrested 77 times. Uh, I've gone through the system. Uh, many of you listening around the country, you've probably heard of the jail called Rikers Island in the city. I've been in there in a dormitory, a single cell, the Bing, which is solitary confinement, PC, punk city, protective custody. I've been arrested all over the country, leading guardian angels, at a time when the police thought that we were vigilantes taking the law into our own hands, a gang, something to be feared and not uh, embraced. All of that changed when Rudy Giuliani was elected mayor of our city of New York in 1992 and then was sworn into office in 1993. He had been a supporter of the Guardian Angels and myself when he was a U.S. attorney for the Southern District. One of the few. He defied all the critics, and he said, look, I, I spend every waking day locking up criminals, organized crime, white-collar criminals, thugs, thugettes. Why are you harassing the guardian angels? It's the best of what our young men and women, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, can do, unarmed, voluntarily, risking their life. Six guardian angels shot and killed in the line of duty, three dozen seriously injured. We've never caused that kind of harm to any of the suspects that we've detained, placed under citizen's arrest. There is now an effort nationally to strip away from the penal code the right that every citizen has to detain a person who is in the midst of committing a crime or has committed a crime. They want to eliminate citizen's arrest over my freaking dead body. I'll rot in jail as a result of that. But the point being is, We've got to stand up and protect those men and women who stand their ground, not just for themselves, but for everyone else. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember, there is uh, the old statement that was made, when good men, good women do nothing, evil will triumph. That's what I, I was raised to believe, and I've practiced that in my life with me. It's do as I say and as I do. 
So I've been locked up in many jails around the country and especially in New York City for using what they called was excessive physical force, restraining someone unnecessarily, uh, falsely imprisoning them, uh, only to be vindicated uh, uh, when it went to court, sometimes dismissed before it even went to court. But that pales in comparison to what Daniel Penny has gone through. Daniel Penny is a hero, without a doubt. And that that term gets thrown about, oh, too liberally. And what I mean by liberally is not politically, but everyone's a hero. Everyone's a hero. No, 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 no. Sorry. In this case, Daniel Penny, young man out of West Islip in Long Island, went to high school there, played on the lacrosse team, enjoying the United States Marine Corps like many young men and young women are doing now and have done in the past. He served honorably around the world, left the service as a sergeant in good standing, went backpacking through Central America, read Don Quixote, is a surfer boy, worked in a surf shop. This He does not fit the stereotype of a jarhead. You know, a lot of people like to say, oh, Marines are trained to be psychotic killers. The more psychotic, the best. This guy does not fit any of those descriptions or parameters. And yet it was an afternoon on a Monday, 2.30. It was on an F train that was coming out of 2nd Avenue in Lower Manhattan, moving uptown, and stopped at Broadway Lafayette. The doors flew open. And on the ground was Daniel Penny restraining a young man who had been uh, going through a psychotic episode like he had on many previous occasions. He was schizophrenic and bipolar. His name, Jordan Neely. He was being aided and abetted in restraining him by two good Samaritans who have yet to surface. Hopefully they don't because there are some who want them arrested also and charged with second-degree manslaughter. Yeah, for being a good Samaritan. One black, one white. Many witnesses who are on that train who have been interviewed, and you should know that initially an assistant district attorney from Alvin Bragg's office, the district attorney prosecuting uh, Daniel Penny, when hearing everything that had been collected by the police on the scene, decided to release Daniel Penny. Nothing happened until all of a sudden Al Slim Shady Sharpton started to get on the phone and influence Alvin Bragg, who is his protege. Alvin Bragg will be the first to tell you that Al Slim Shady Sharpton mentored him. Uh, Could we hear from uh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton, who spoke of this situation and what he had to say about the hero Daniel Penny and the two good Samaritans that he is now calling bad Samaritans. You cannot let this go unaccounted for without really opening the door to legitimizing and giving a basis of vigilantism. This young man, unarmed, did nothing to anyone, didn't assault anyone, was disruptive, which happens every day in subways, and you're going to put him in a chokehold and hold him there for minutes at a time while two other people hold him down and kill him. This person uh, uh, should face a grand jury and the two people with him. He influenced Alvin Bragg. In addition, AOC, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the uh, Democratic Socialists of America who want to destroy this country, 
who want not just to defund police all over the country, but remove police, eliminate prisons, turn criminals loose, and really destroy capitalism as we know it and replace it with socialism. She first said what Daniel Penny did in protecting himself and the other passengers was a murder. The next day, she uh, ramped it up, said it was a lynching. That wasn't good enough. She went for the trifecta, the trite, the trinity of casting aspersions against this hero Marine Daniel Penny by then calling it an execution. And she was joined by others. The person who was not heard from was Daniel Penny. Many of you were heard from because whether anonymously or openly, you immediately began donating money to his defense fund. And thank God, an attorney named Thomas Kniff, well-known, emerged to defend him along with his partner, Reiser. They have a great reputation. I know Tom Kniff personally. He ran against Alvin Bragg for the district attorney race in Manhattan. Lost to Alvin Bragg, but he was such an honorable guy. He served in the military. He has defended so many who, in defending their own rights and others' rights, have been so maligned, as has uh, Daniel Penny. And I was so proud to stand with him when I was running for mayor as a Republican candidate with Thomas Kniff who should have become the district attorney of Manhattan. I have a feeling he may well run the next time. I'll do everything I can to help him defeat this this man who has dedicated his life, Alvin Bragg. He said it to defend the criminals and not the victims. Not defend law and order, but defend the chaos and anarchy. But let's hear from Daniel Penny himself. Although the grand jury delivered a bill of goods against him for second-degree manslaughter, and he will have to appear in court July 17th, and the actual criminal case may take place a year or more from now, he uh, disputed the bogus version that he was holding Jordan Neely for 15 minutes. He said that was a lie. Some people say that I was holding on to Mr. Neely for 15 minutes. This is not true. I mean, between stops is only a couple minutes. So the whole interaction lasted less than five minutes. Some people say I was trying to choke him to death, which is also not true. I was trying to restrain him. Uh, You can see in the video there's a clear rise and fall of his chest, indicating that he's breathing. I'm trying to restrain him from him being able to carry out the threats. And then some people say that this was about race, which is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't see a black man threatening passengers. I saw a man threatening passengers, a lot of whom were people of color. The man who helped restrain Mr. Neely was was a person of color. And a few days after the incident, I, I read in the papers that uh, a woman of color came out and called me a hero. What, I don't believe that I'm, I'm a hero, but uh, she was one of those people that I was trying to protect. Look, um, how humble he is in describing what had transpired. I observed that video a few times. I've taken judo, jujitsu. I've been in hundreds of street conflicts. And I observed the way he put that headlock chokehold on Jordan Neely, who was out of control. 
and he even had his hand on his forehead to prevent him from having a problematic situation. There's no doubt in my mind that Jordan Neely was uh, smoking K2, as his aunt had said, that he was prone to do on a regular basis. We haven't gotten a toxicology report yet, right? Why not? Autopsy, yes. Toxicology report, no. The deck is stacked against this hero, Daniel Penny. We cannot forsake him. We have to help Thomas Kniff, great attorney, vindicate him before a jury of his peers 12 in a criminal court case. And I do not believe, like in the case of the subway gunman Bernard Getz, whether they're black or white in that jury, that they will find him guilty. They will find the subway riders that he did the right thing. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's the Greg Kelly Show. I have one thing to say. You better work. Three snaps up, RuPaul Drag Race. And she's been the uh, queen of the drag queens for going back over two decades. But all of a sudden, everything's come to the forefront in a way that is very disruptive. Not talking about drag race on TV or RuPaul's many drag queens. I mean, look at uh, George Santos, the disgraced congressman from Long Island. He was a drag queen in Brazil for three years, tried to become Miss Rio de Janeiro drag queen and failed in the process. But let's talk about what's happening tonight in uh, Chavez Ravine, right in Echo Park. I know that area well. I patrolled it as uh, the leader of the Guardian Angels. I love Chavez Ravine as a baseball park. But first, they were going to host the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgent, then they weren't, now they are, which is a group that pretends to be drag queen nuns. Now, this is on a day, Padre Filio Spiritu Santum, which is a holy day for many Catholics. It's the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Nuns are married to Jesus. I know I was raised uh, in a Roman Catholic school, St. Matthew's in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, the Josephite nuns. Hit you so hard your mother would feel the vibrations, but they had a ring on. And when I would visit the convent, chaste. Go to the rectory, the priests, ostentatious, right? Oh, my God. That's why I became a choir boy. I'd rather stay with the nuns. I wasn't going to be an altar boy, stay with the priests. You know what I'm talking about. But what the L.A. Dodgers are doing tonight, honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, as part of gay pride, is nonsense. I've seen them in San Francisco. They make fun of nuns. Nuns who are the most dedicated, the most chaste. I mean, gays and lesbians have come so far for so many years to fight for their rights, to fight for their right to marry. I'm all for in favor of that. But this is a setback. Dylan Mulvaney with her, hey, you know, uh, I got a crotch here and all that. I'm an influencer. And Bud Light, what we've seen happen to them. And Tarjay, Target. And you say to yourself, really? At Chavez Ravine, where so many great baseball games have been played, 
You're going to honor the sisters of perpetual indulgence as part of Gay Pride Month. Why? Why wouldn't you honor so many other who have been uh, stellar figures? In fact, one of the co-owners of the uh, L.A. Dodgers, if I am correct, is a great uh, tennis player uh, who, for years was at the top of a game. Billie Jean King, part owner. Magic Johnson's son, he's part owner. He's gay. In fact, Eric Braverman, the senior vice president of marketing, he uh, got married in a gay ceremony in 2022, right on the field at Chavez Ravine Dodger Stadium. This is the best of what you could do to, uh, to have a ceremony honoring gay pride? The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is blasphemy against all nuns who are out there in a chaste way doing God's work. Really? Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Father of Soul, Soul Brother Number One, singing this classic about living in America, coming to the promised land. So appropriate here as I substitute on the Greg Kelly Show. He'll be back on Monday. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, with special treat coming up. I'll be joined by my Cumbadicic, Rudy Giuliani, who has locked up more mobsters choking on their lobsters than any other prosecutor in the history of the Department of Justice, put away the five heads of the organized crime, the Bonanno family, the Colombo, Lucchese's, Gambino, and Genovese. Didn't quite get the Clinton family or the Biden crime family yet. And then there's the Cuomo family. That makes eight, right? Well... It's no longer uh, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District, or he might have been able to take uh, the heads of those uh, crime families down. Meantime, the reason he'll be joining me is that Greg Kelly, uh, who is very spiritual, uh, definitely a born again, believes in the New Testament uh, that you should forgive uh, those who have aggressed against you. You should forgive those who have committed a crime against you and has urged me to forgive the Gaudis for their attempted assassination of me when uh, a gunman named Michael Iannotti, who has just done 20 years, just been sprung from federal prison, aerated my lower intestines with five hollow-point Bullets on June 19th in 1992 on the orders of John Gotti Sr. to John Gotti Jr. Nobody knows that story better than Rudy Giuliani. He'll come in and uh, give me advice as my consigliere, as my padron, my godfather. Should I or should I not forgive? He's not as religious as Greg Kelly is, but there's no doubt Rudy is far more religious than I am. 
I'll take his advice. We'll play exactly what Greg Kelly said at the end of his show. Now, everybody's going to be focused on Juneteenth. Uh, in many areas, African-Americans had no idea what Juneteenth is. I saw it celebrated in Milwaukee. I saw it celebrated in St. Louis. I saw it celebrated in Dallas, Texas, and Houston with the Guardian Angels there as we were patrolling. Nobody in other parts of the country know anything about Juneteenth. It's been made a holiday. That's not the Juneteenth we're talking about. We're talking June 19th, 1992, when while coming to a radio station to do a morning show, the old WABC, they attempted to execute me, and one of the first people to visit me in the hospital was Rudy Giuliani, then running against David Dinkins. Thank God he won. But let's uh, let's discuss this invasion of illegal aliens that continues and the rationale for it. A lot of people say, well, what is the reason that Joe Biden, the Democrats, giggles, <laughs> Harris, so-called the czarina in charge of uh, border issues, Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, why do they allow the illegal aliens to continue their invasion? And it's no longer limited just to uh, the border that separates us from Mexico, mostly through Texas, Arizona, and California, and some through New Mexico. But some of them have an easy pass. They fly from Mexico City to uh, Toronto, and uh, they fly to Montreal, and then they work their way down through the northern border that separates uh, Canada from uh, New Hampshire, from Vermont, and New York State, and uh, most all want to go one place, one place only. Right here where we're broadcasting from, New York City, they say, Nueva York. They're looking at it on Univision and Telemundo because they all have iPhone cell phones, right? Yeah, poor and impoverished. Please give me, give me, give me a break. I'm not a stunat. I'm not stupid. I'm street smart. And they want to come to New York. Why wouldn't you want to come to New York? We have the mayor, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan who has invited them in since late August in defiance of Governor Abbott, who is saying, no mas, no mas, please give us relief. You're overwhelming all the border communities of Texas, but especially the state. I've got to ship them up north. So what did our mayor do here? He condemned uh, Greg Abbott, and he called him a racist, something he always does. He disagrees with you. If your complexion is not your protection like his, he calls you a racist. And he actually welcomed the illegal aliens coming by bus into the city. Now, who paid for their transportation? Catholic Charities, which is a scam as an NGO. It is money being made for the Catholic Church from federal tax dollars. That's where they get their funds from. And they're all along the border. And they're the ones who have taught the illegal aliens one word in English. Asylum. Asylum, asylum. That's all they say. Every hand. What's your name? Asylum. Where are you going? Asylum. That's all they know. Just say asylum. Because once you have one foot over the Rio Grande into America, you then have a choice of where you want to go. Catholic Charities is there. They're filled, pockets filled with the federal tax dollars that we suckers pay. And you get a choice. Where would you like to go? It's like Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. You want to go to New York? You want to go to uh, Chicago? You want to go to Washington, D.C.? 
Who in their right mind would want to go to Chicago and get killed in a drive-by shooting right as you step off the bus? In fact, if you notice, those who are stupid enough to choose Chicago, they house them in police precincts now. It's the only place that you're safe. And they're not going to want to go to Washington, D.C. It's a very small city with absolutely no shelters and no amenities. And there, they're not offering you a place to stay. It's like, hey, pitch a tent in the park. Lafayette Park, right across the street from Joe Biden's White House. But, oh, they all want to come to New York City. Here, they not only get a great hotel room in Midtown Manhattan, the old Milford Plaza. Some of you probably remember, yeah, when we first came to the Great White Way, Broadway, and we would stay for a week and we would see plays and musicals on Broadway and we'd go to great restaurants and the Milford Plaza, not a five-star top-shelf hotel, three-star. First hotel that the city of New York negotiated with is the old Milford Plaza, now called NY Row, owned by an LLC. Aren't they all to hide their owners? And the biggest kickback scheme in the history of American politics, and that's staying a lot, took place. Mostly Venezuelans who haven't been in Venezuela in seven or more years. They left when uh, Hugo Chavez dropped dead of cancer because he wanted the Cubans to treat him because he believed that Michael Moore documentary that health care was better in Cuba than the United States. So they tried to remove a basketball-sized tumor from his stomach, and he died. Thank God he did, and hopefully went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. His replacement was a bus driver from Caracas, now in place as dictator for life, Maduro. And a lot of Venezuelans fled. And they fled to Chile and Argentina and Brazil and Colombia. And they've been doing relatively well. And you can you can pick them out of the crowd because when they queued up at the Rio Grande to bum rush over, they didn't walk through the uh, mosquito-infested jungles of the Isthmus of Panama from Colombia and then made their way, you know, to El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and then Mexico. Hell no. They flew to Mexico City and then caught connecting flights. Uh, TJ, you go to Tijuana, there's an airport right on the border. I've been there many times. And you can touch the San Ysidro Canyon from there. Next stop, San Diego. Nuevo Laredo, there's a small airport there. Next stop, Laredo, Texas. Likewise, Juarez, a small airport there. Next stop is El Paso, where so many come through. And you can tell the Venezuelans. They got the watches. They got the iPhones. They got the smartphones. They got designer garb. And you can tell they have the tourist luggage with the wheels on the bottom. Now, you think you would have tourist luggage with the wheels on, designer clothing, walking through the mosquito-laden jungles of the Isthmus of Panama? Of course not. And they've learned how to scam the system. So they're there in the Milford Plaza, ladies and gentlemen. That was the first hotel of many hotels that Eric Adams allowed the illegal aliens to occupy at our taxpayers' expense. And they complained about the food. He said the food is not culturally appropriate. And Eric Adams said, oh, we got to do everything for the illegal aliens. Uh, we want culturally appropriate food. So what do you want? We want con arroz habichuelas with a chuleta on top. Beans and rice with pork chops. So the mayor actually said, yeah, let them call Grubhub. We'll pay for it. Yeah, we'll. No, 
We, the sucker, taxpayers in New York City, they wanted mangu, mafungo. They wanted cerveza. They stand outside the hotel. They're drinking Corona and complaining about it because it doesn't have the gusano, the worms inside, with the salt on top and a little bit of lime. They have the hubris, the chutzpah to complain. And then they're smoking weed because New York City has become purple haze. There's illegal weed everywhere. They're carousing. They're fighting. And then when they get arrested by the local police, the only thing they say is asylum, asylum, asylum. And because you're an asylum seeker, according to the Democratic-controlled government here, you can't be arrested. They release you back. This is crazy. They've taken over the Roosevelt Hotel. The mayor made a deal with the crooked Pakistani government that owned the Roosevelt Hotel right Across the street from Grand Central Terminal, a thousand rooms he's leased for $225 million for three years, an ironclad lease. So even if the illegal aliens are not housed there, the crooked Pakistani government gets it. Now, who are the attorneys and the mortgage brokers and everyone else, the licensed real estate dealers that negotiated that? Come on. They're all getting kickbacks. Friends of Eric Adams. This is corruption at its height. Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, the governor of Chicago, all the friends of Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb are getting kickbacks. And you see, this is the ultimate goal. Let's be perfectly honest. This is not a new playbook. This is the old playbook. When the Irish fled Ireland because of the potato famine and Queen Victoria said, die, rot, I hope you all die. The Brits turned their backs on the Irish. Many of the Irish came to lower Manhattan in New York City. When the boats docked, they were met by Tammany Hall, Irish members of the Democratic Party and Tammany Hall. They were given envelopes of petty cash. They were given a place to live in the squalid tenements as bad as they were. It's better than being in the streets. And they always said to the Irish immigrants, Whatever you need, you come to Tammany Hall, which is right behind New York City's hall right now. Corruption Central. And the Irish, they just swore allegiance to the Democratic Party because they would tell their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren when you walked into their homes, there would be a picture of Jesus Christ. There would be a picture of John F. Kennedy, the first Irish Catholic president. And then, of course, a picture of St. Patrick on the wall. And when you would ask them to trace their lineage and their passage across the Atlantic uh, in the midst of the potato famine where hundreds of thousands of Irish died, as Queen Victoria said, die, die, all of you. They always saw the Democratic Party, they were always there for us. The Republicans, they were only concerned for the rich. They never helped us. So you had generations of Irish to this day who will only vote for the Democrats. And in the future, this is the hope of the Democrats. Then when you walk into a Latino apartment, and they will eventually be normalized here because the moment they drop their first baby, an anchor baby, no, they're not going back. Their, their asylum hearings are set for like 13 years from now. You will see a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lady of Guadalupe, their blessed Mother Mary, Joe Biden, and here in New York City, Eric Adams, and they will tell this new generation, because of them, we're here. 
Vote Democrat to the day you die. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hell no, that's not the godfather, Diego. You know, I'm going to deport you to Mexico. That's the wedding dance. Oh, what a gabon. What a gabon. Uh, This is a song that has become synonymous with uh, Italian organized crime. And there's no person in the world who is better prepared at explaining it than uh, Michael Bodicic, Rudy Giuliani. In fact, you may have seen the Netflix special, Fear City, four episodes. I started it off, uh, Rudy, with the barber who wanted to slice my throat in Bushwick because <laughs> I... Why am I laughing? That's right. I ratted out so many of the mobsters. Well, you were a crazy kid. Of course. <laughs> and then for the next three episodes, it was Rudy and all your investigators uh, wiring up uh, mob places like Christmas trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like burglars. And how you put away the five heads of organized crime. No one can even approach what you did as U.S. Attorney for the Southern Districts. Now, our mutual friend, Greg Kelly, has become a real rabid Christian who believes you, you must forgive. And, in fact, this is what he said yesterday on the cusp of the 31st anniversary when the Gottis tried to kill me on June 19th, 1992. We had steaks at Sparks Restaurant. Sparks made famous, I think most famous. People still associate... Uh, associate uh, Sparks with John Gotti. And uh, who did he kill? Paul Castellano. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. All right? I want to underline allegedly. Uh, but that's the rumor. Paul Castellano. Big Paul. Got him right in front of that steakhouse. I think about it every time I go by it. And uh, I remember. It was the winter of, was it 1985, 1986, 1986? I don't know. And it was December, and I got shot. And I remember he had a brand new pair of shoes on, and he was under. He was going through a trial, and uh, oh wow! Did they ever solve that crime officially? I know they. John Gotti benefited, but I don't think he actually pulled the trigger. I, I don't think so. Um, how about that? Hey, Victoria Gotti is out there. She's very active in the community. Uh, does a great job. Wrote those books. I think she still writes for the New York Post every now and then. That's uh, interesting. And uh, 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 Junior is uh, is doing fine. You know what my big fantasy is? Fantasy. You know what my big wish is? I've told this to Curtis. I've said it out loud. I would love it if there was a, um, a come-together moment between the Gaudis and Curtis Sliwa. If Curtis could find it in his heart to forgive the Gaudis. And if the Gaudis, I don't know if they were involved or not, but might apologize for a couple of things. You know, I mean... Wouldn't that be nice? 
Wouldn't that be nice? I think it'd be great. I I mentioned it to Curtis. He's like, I'm an Old Testament guy. I'm no eye for an eye. But I think one of these days it would be a beautiful thing. And if he can forgive, hey, it's interesting. Just like they got the Godfather five times. They shot him five times and he didn't die. They shot Curtis five times and he didn't die. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing man, Curtis. All right, so I would love for there to be peace between Curtis and the Gaudis. That'd be great. It's happening. I know people think it's impossible, but anything's possible. Mike Kumbadichi, Rudy Giuliani, you came to the hospital room. I did. You saw me with tubes and every orifice in my body. Um, you're sort of like in between me and Greg. Greg is very religious. I'm not religious at all. I believe in the blood feud vendetta. I want vengeance. <laughs> What would your advice be to me well, as my consul? This is very, here? very tough. This is religion against ethnicity, right? He's got a point about forgiveness. You've got a point about you've got to uh, you've got to stand up for yourself, and you can't let people push you around if they think they can. They're, they're just going to destroy you. But I think on this one, ethnicity wins. <laughs> I just, in fact, I have a suggestion. Uh, pretty soon there'll be uh, there should be a reenactment. Of the uh, Hamilton Bird duel, we could go over there. I'll be your second, and one of those Gotti jerkoffs could be, and he could be one of the Gotti jerkoffs seconds, and we could have a, a duel. I love that we for, for charity, you know, right over know, at yeah, Weehawken. And I, that place is still there. We don't have to take the rowboats out there. Yeah, and, and I'll examine. They'll trust me to examine the guns. Yes. I'll be the sole examiner of the guns. Sure. No, I mean frankly, <laughs> uh, what was Kennedy's expression? On earth, the work of God uh, truly is our own. Yeah, well, God forgives. We get even. Let me let me just put it this way. I know this is a very religious audience because they listen to uh, Greg who recites. Oh, I love Greg. This passage. is not meant in any way. I just love Greg, and I love you. And then you, you guys have a different view on. Let this. me just say, God damn the Gaudis! <laughs> I hope they all go to hell without an asbestos suit like Gaudi Senior and burn in perpetuity. You know, I'm going to tell I'm going to tell uh, people something about Gotti. Uh, he is one of the worst of the mafia guys. There were certain mafia guys, and I listened to four thousand hours of these guys talking on tape that didn't like killing. He liked killing. He enjoyed it. He was a sadist. 